Hello and welcome to the No BS Approach to Motherhood podcast, hosted by Catherine Hay and Shelley McKenzie. We are both mothers and clinical nutritionists who specialize in women's health. We are here to not only bring you the most up-to-date nutritional and health advice when it comes to fertility, pregnancy, postpartum, and children's nutrition, but our main goal is to break through the BS that can come with motherhood. No topic is off limits, so grab a cuppa or a glass of wine and join us for another raw and real conversation surrounding motherhood. Today, we are joined by Dr. Amanda, the founder and director of Angia Women's Health Clinic, an integrative Chinese medicine practice with a focus on fertility, female endocrinology, and supporting women through every phase of life. Amanda is a registered doctor of Chinese medicine, yoga, and meditation teacher and energy healer. She empowers and educates her clients to reconnect with their inherent body wisdom, navigate their way back to balance naturally, and live the happiest and most thriving version of their lives. Today, Amanda dives into endometriosis. We discuss the definition of endometriosis, why endometriosis is so prevalent, what a menstrual cycle should look like, how endometriosis is commonly diagnosed, and how our emotions play into disease within the body. This episode does require a trigger warning. So we are so excited to have the incredible Amanda, Dr. Amanda here from Angia Clinic. She is a Chinese medicine practitioner and we would love to start off with tell us who you are, what you do and how you got into the field that you're in today. (laughs) Thanks for having me, ladies. So basically, well, I've been in clinical practice now for 16 years. Um, I can't get over how time flies. So I am a doctor of Chinese medicine specializing in acupuncture, but also to my passion lies with women's health. So it's essentially supporting women from their conception journey all the way through um, into the postpartum period. And now I guess, you know, heading towards 45, I'm starting to see a lot more menopausal patients as well. So yeah, it's a love. Yeah, absolutely. And your Instagram is such a wealth of knowledge for so many of us. I've been following you for a long time and I've learned so many things on your Instagram. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. (laughs) I would love to explore. I know you're heavily in the endometriosis space. So can you tell us, you know, why you've kind of delved into endometriosis in terms of your clinic and what that's looking like and what endometriosis is for our listeners? Okay, so we'll start with the definition. I think that's always a really good place to start. So it's not the endometrium of our um, lining, which is what most people think that it is. It's um, tissue that's very similar uh, to our lining that is found outside of our uterus uh, that generally tends to implant around our pouch of Douglas, uh, our reproductive organs, um, so in the fallopian tubes, around the fallopian tubes, also um, our sacral ligaments, um, sometimes on the outside of the vagina, bladder, and rectum and it's deeply impactful in the sense that it really affects people's ability to be able to live a quality of life the suffering from painful periods and pelvic pain and things such as infertility Uh, so its symptoms are quite broad um, and I think you know it's there's 200 million people suffering with endometriosis worldwide which is huge right I mean that's a pandemic within itself 
Yeah, and when we're looking at endometriosis, what are what do you usually see in clinic presenting, and how would you go about supporting a woman through endometriosis? I think in Chinese medicine, the diagnostics are amazing in terms of being able to go through pattern identification. And in Chinese medicine, you know, we'll spend half an hour going through your menstrual history, your menstrual cycle, and essentially our menstrual cycle being our fifth vital sign is able to share so many clues to us about what's actually going on physiologically, pathologically. And so from that, we're able to then sort of come to a diagnosis. Well, that's what I have anyway. I think it's just three years of clinical experience. Um, And then also to having a combination of looking at Western medicine, um, pelvic ultrasounds, um, is then being able to say to a patient, look, I think, you know, given your history, your mother's history, um, your current menstrual cycles, also what your period's like as a teenager, that then we're able to say, look, I think there's a possibility that you've got endometriosis. Um, And I think that that we therefore need to explore to see a specialised surgeon um, just to get a second opinion. I mean, the majority now of women that come through the doors here have endometriosis. And I think we're just seeing more and more people now with this condition diagnosed. It's now one in nine in Australia. So, you know, do you, I mean, I'm sure you've got girlfriends that may have been impacted by endo. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm going through that journey myself. So I feel like I have had undiagnosed endometriosis probably for 15, 16 years. And it's only now after having Sunny, my baby girl, that I, I've finally, like, this is enough. And my period has become so much heavier after I gave birth with her. And I'm actually booked in for my first laparoscopy um, in July, the start of July. And I'm just so damn excited to finally get an answer because you know, when I look at my my health history and I look at IBS and, you know, I've had all of these signs throughout um, but nothing has ever been formally diagnosed. And, yeah, I I feel like I 100% have undiagnosed endometriosis. And I think that's the issue, right, is that the, sadly, the, um, I guess where the, the gap lies is that the medical community are not really educated about the importance of what, women's health is and what a menstrual like the importance of what a menstrual cycle is it's like that just gets glossed over um and so then you know someone will go and present at emergency i'm in extreme amounts of pain and it's like pain doesn't even register for them it's almost like it's non-existence like okay well if you've got your period and you've got pain with your period here take some panadol and off you go and i mean how come that has not been picked up diagnostically right? It's the, that's your body's way of saying to you, hey, there's something that we need to explore here. Because I think, you know, the whole Western taboo of saying painful periods are normal, that has been so detrimental to us women um, and menstruators, because that's just been glossed over. We've been told a story that that's a normal part of our existence. When in fact, in Chinese medicine, a period should be a healthy period is Uh, It should arrive on time. Um, So if you've got a regular 28-day cycle, you shouldn't experience any pain. It should be a nice fresh red so it shouldn't contain any clots. And then you should change your, you know, your pad, tampon, 
every four hours. And of course, if you're using menstrual undies or a cup, then it's if you're having um, 80 mils or greater, then that's an indication um, that you're flooding. And so all these misconceptions and myths of what we've been told has definitely impacted the ability to get a, a diagnosis a lot sooner, which I think is detrimental to women um, and menstruators because of the impact that it has trying to live a normal life. Do you feel that this has been impacted by the overprescribing, say, of the oral contraceptive pill to kind of mask those signs and symptoms? So say if a girl, a teenage girl has come through and she's, you know, in puberty and she's got a period and it's painful and it's heavy and all of these things and, you know, a doctor's like, here's, take the pill. Do you think that has perpetuated the reason why we're seeing so much endometriosis now? Or, or what are your thoughts around that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it's also too, like, we don't, why has there not been a study done to say if if there are a group that have endometriosis, put them on the pill and then go back in five years and see if they're actually, do a laparoscopic surgery to see whether there's actually been growth because we know that the pill um, with its metabolic pathways, definitely that estradiol um, the, or the estranol um, impacts the body's methylation pathways. And people with endo already have a methylation issue, which means that they're not actually able to um, excrete estrogen out their specific pathways, um, which then can cause more buildup of estrogen, which then perpetuates the endometriosis to grow. So, I mean, I was diagnosed at 41, but I had had a pretty tumultuous path, um, past. And so I definitely know that there's our womb is a sacred space right? And we're not taught the sacredness of our menstrual cycle, the sacredness of our womb. And so we're living in a lifetime now. And so say, you know, I was abused, not, I was raped, right? I'm happy to share that. Um, I've done a lot of womb work around that. And so if there's been penetration into a sacred space, we close off, right? And tissues have issues. And so uh, basically what happens is it starts to change the pathology of our tissues. And so for me, my endometriosis was really um, the growth of that abuse um, and that had happened a couple of times. So I feel like that there'd been a change in the pathology there, which then caused the, the tissue to grow. And so I think it's also too is that we're carrying intergenerational trauma. It's literally our wombs are at the point where they're screaming. They're like, we need to be heard. And you think about us as a collective, we've been suppressed, oppressed. And so it's like our wombs now um, are carrying this ancestral trauma that's then we're in a generation where we can have the ability now to be able to heal that. Um, but there's still so much work to be done because I feel that we're still living in the 1960s in regards to all of that with what happened with COVID and birthing. So it's, it's, it's so big and it's interesting because the liver meridian circulates around the reproductive organs and finishes at the breast. Um, it's about being in flow and so endometriosis is also too, essentially, it's, a, it's a, a balance between the masculine and the feminine. And there was a guy in the States that did, um, he recorded all his surgeries that he's done and he maps it out on the, his computer and he found that majority of lesions were found on the left side of women. Now, the left side is our feminine side. 
So that is because we are living so much in a masculine dominance that our feminine is suffering. And she's like, I just need to be heard. And you think about like the, for us, we have to go, it's like we forge our careers and then we go into motherhood and then we have children and then, and then, and then, and we don't stop. Um, And so we're we actually need to come back in to learn to nurture our feminine because when we're in our femininity, and that divinity is that everything's in flow and our womb is swadhisthana, which is, it's a water element. So it's like thinking about the waters, right? When we're in flow, <laughs> it's like we feel amazing, right? And then it doesn't give us pathology. And then adenomyosis is our uterus is a boundary. And so adenomyosis is if we um, are giving out, giving ourselves away too much. And so, Normally, um, I've got both, is the endometriosis, um, then it grows into the myometrium, into the muscle layer of uterus, and that then starts to change the shape of your uterus um, because it's a smooth muscle, and so smooth muscle becomes impacted, it gets bulky, it continues to grow, continues to grow. And so it's like how much of ourselves do we actually step outside our boundary all the time and give ourselves away? And women are very good at that, right? We put ourselves last for everyone else. Is this where your energy work comes into play as well, Amanda? Yeah. I think it's just been really quite amazing in terms of just watching my own personal growth as a practitioner um, is that, and then having the mind-body medicine. I think that's, you know, yoga is a big part of that. It gets you to an ability to be always to come back home to yourself um, and then to tap into your intuition. But I think... I mean, Chinese medicine is really, that's the spiritual base of it, right? There's ghost points. So it's a lot of it is that that energetic work. And I think that's the part that I love of combining both seeing a Western medicine diagnosis and then being able to put that into translation into supporting someone's body through changing the energetics because at the end of the day, we are just energy. Mm, absolutely. And with your fertility journeys, if if you if you're happy to chat about it how was it for you conceiving with you know i know you found out about endometriosis later but how was that for you so i was in i fell in love with chinese medicine when i was in my 20s so i've i've been doing chinese medicine since i was 20 uh and so i used to do half iron man so i came wow. from that yeah <laughs> just athletes background but always just doing way too much a type female (laughs) um, so when I was riding 600 k's a week and um, just after that event I'd fallen pregnant I was training for this event in New Zealand and it was a 400 kilometer bike ride I rode through the night through the day and it was essentially to ride away my past with all my stuff and it was like the most meditative journey ever and um, when I fell pregnant um, I went to have a scan and it was a blighted ovum and so there's no heartbeat Mm -hmm. and so for me I went being fertility fit and being physically fit are two different totally different things yeah I know I was in clinic telling all the ladies you've got to do this you've got to do that and I thought no no I can do it right I can eat my cake I can have it all (laughs) and the universe was like Nah, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the blighted ovum just represented, it was, I was empty, right? 
physically fit but not fertility fit so then it was like to go back and let's start to redo everything again come back into so I stopped all my um, physical exercise of bike riding and swimming um, and then just went solely into yoga um, and completely just did a very yin based treatment of nourishing um, right down to I mean like you know the bone broths and cutting out coffee all of that stuff because that all impacts us we're not I think it's a very different story in your 20s to your 30s to conceive and then into your 40s to conceive as well. And so we need to come back to that, you know, that beautiful blend of East and West to really learn to how to nurture ourselves and nourish ourselves. Because in Chinese medicine, there's the Shen cycle. So the mother organ has to be nourished so she can nourish the child organ. Mm. And in my case, it was like I was empty. So how can I nourish a child? right and then so that was the blighted ovum so i think you know the our body is highly intelligent it's got amazing ways of being able to talk to us it's just whether we have the time and the space or the stillness to listen yeah and i feel like uh in the western world i guess when we look at fertility if we've been diagnosed with something like endometriosis it can be a little bit doom and gloom you know, when a woman's leaving the doctor's surgery and she's been told perhaps that infertility is just a, it, it's just what comes with endometriosis. I guess, how do you see women conceiving frequently, naturally with an endo, endometriosis diagnosis? <laughs> that was yes. A no. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question. I think like generally the time that we're starting to for a lot of people that are on their fertility journey, then you do all the explorations. Um, So it just depends on what your symptoms are with endo. Like are you having, um, I guess it it depends on the stage of of what your endometriosis is because that's the thing. You can have no pain and have stage four, which was my case, or you can have lots of pain and have stage two. But generally if you're seeing a presentation of endometriosis because they've just had the new research that's come out to say that, you know, there's a new endometriosis scan that can actually um, locate and detect endometriosis. So it gives you a diagnosis, but that's only if it's considered deep infiltrating endometriosis. So at that point, your endo is severe because it's impacting your bowel. You've got IBS, you've got all those rectum gastrointestinal symptoms. Um, And so, and then it's also true, you might not be able to see endometriosis as well. So, I think that's the hardest thing is then you have to go in for laparoscopic surgery. So um, I think it's a lot, to be honest, um, is that for a lot of patients, I do refer on to a surgeon because at that, the time that they're here, it's pretty severe. Um, but after they've had their surgery, you know, it's like a weed. So the uterus, I describe the uterus, it's a garden. You cut that weed out. And then it actually increases your chances of falling pregnant. And what what techniques do you utilise for that treatment or support, not treatment, but support of endometriosis? Is it a combined combination of acupuncture, herbs, lifestyle recommendations, or what's? I know everyone's so different, but what's kind of the avenue that you would take? Okay, so I always recommend to do the Dutch test. So if we can see, right, that's a preventative medicine um, long term, as you know, nutritionally, 
right? It plays a huge part. Um, we are what we eat. Mm. And then, of course, acupuncture and energetic work as well is that we really kind of need to get to the bottom of like what what sort of things are we repeating? Are there, is there trauma that we need to look at? Um, and then I think womb work's a big one, so doing womb massages. Um, and then, of course, moxa. Um, Moxa is a beautiful Chinese medicine therapy that increases blood flow into the pelvic cavity. Uh, it helps to re reduce inflammation and creates a healthy period. And I think, you know, your menstrual cycle is a big one, even though they say it's not just a bad period. We know it's a whole body disease is that if you're having a healthy, regular menstrual cycle, that is reflecting your overall health as well. As soon as you start to see changes within your cycle and your period, it's like, okay, what do I need to actually change within my lifestyle? Because everything that we put into our body, right? It's our little our periods, like a compass. It's, it's telling us, okay, I need to change this in my life. Maybe I don't need to go to bed as late. Um, maybe I need to eat less processed food. <laughs> it's all those things, right? But we just don't listen. So Amanda, you were talking about womb massage. Can you fill me in a little bit about that and what that looks like? Because I've never had a womb massage. I don't know what that looks like. So can you explain that to us? Uh, so there's different types. So there's a, well, there is just womb massage and then there's the Aravago massage and Mayan massage. And so they're just different techniques, but essentially it's working through the different fascial layers um, and then being able to work your way through right down into your womb, being your uterus. And then the practitioner can generally feel things that are stored. And so it's really about creating healthy blood flow and then being able to work through tissues that have issues essentially. So there's a lot that they can feel under the palms of their hands. Um, and then it's helping to restore that function and flow and motion essentially to create healthy flow. And thank you so much for being open about your previous trauma. Can you unpack that a little bit for our listeners and how when you're saying, you know, tissues have issues and looking at that as a, even when we're going into a Western medicine uh, situation and we're, you know, having to have internal ultrasounds and things like that, how do, how do, you, how do you navigate that when you've had past trauma to, you know, the vagina and the uterus and the vulva and, and things like that? Yeah, really great question. So essentially everything that we do leaves an imprint in us, um, but it's like our fascia is what communicates with our external environment. It's like, the you know, when you eat meat and you see that little white tissue. So that's what protects us. It's like a protection sheath. And so um, what happens is that when we've had trauma is that particularly like in my case, so um, the tissues go into a contracted state because it's like they're in protection, they're frightened, they're fearful. And that's the same with endometriosis, right, is that every month you're experiencing pain so your body is bracing itself and all that fascial tissue starts to go into a holding pattern and our body's very good at going back into patterning. And so particularly like around the vulva and the vagina is that if we're having a pelvic ultrasound and we've had trauma and we've been penetrated is that the body goes into shock. It has that memory, right? So it's like muscle memory. And so that's why it's even like engaging in sex, even with your partner or someone that that's new, 
they should actually ask if they have permission to enter because as soon as they ask for permission to enter, that then allows the tissue to soften and we say, yes, okay, I'm open. Yes, you're allowed to. Um, and in that there's a welcoming as opposed to just, I'm just going to come in, right, which is what happens in most cases. It starts to change the dynamic. It takes us into that feminine and it allows the tissue then time to prepare. So in clinic, I'm always so mindful. I will always ask people for permission. I've even changed now again, but I'll always ask for permission to enter to acupuncture, sorry, not to enter, to acupuncture (laughs) on their belly button. (laughs) Um, And now it's like I ask permission to ask if I can acupuncture the the person because in that it's like the body can say, yes, it's coming out of its defense state, right? And we're hardwired to be flight, fight, freeze, which is that, you know, um, that stress state. Uh, And so if we're already in that, we can actually soften and the body can go, yes, okay, which then it comes into, it changes the dynamic and it brings it into a parasympathetic, which is rest, receive, digest. Yeah, makes sense. Very interesting. And we are unfortunately coming to an end of this show. You have to go pick up your kitties, I believe. Do you have any words of wisdom for our listeners that may have endometriosis or suspect they have endometriosis? It's that I think it's really important to have your team behind you. So it's important to be able to advocate for yourself. And if you don't have the right team or people supporting you, you're not being seen or heard, then to please reach out to your, like on this podcast, reach out to um, your friends and people and ask them if you know someone and then create your team because it takes a village. And I think the most important thing is, not just seeing any gynecologist, do your research. You want to be having someone that's doing surgery for you that has dedicated their life to endometriosis surgery. And there are specific endosurgeons out there, which is otherwise it's like it can lead to a lot of um, complications down the track if it's just a gynae doing the op without that experience. And Amanda, where can we find you? Tell us where we can find us. For all our listeners, you're going to get all the endometriosis patients coming into your door now. (laughs) Awesome. So that is, you can find us at Angia Acupuncture Yoga, which is our Instagram account, or just www.angia.com.au. Fabulous. And we'll link all your details um, in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for, one, sharing your story because that was phenomenal and just educating us around endometriosis because we know the research is constantly changing I feel and it's it's happening at quite a rapid pace and what it once was which is obviously great for all of our endometriosis Mm. sufferers out there so thank you for sharing your words of wisdom you're a wealth of knowledge and yeah it was it was fabulous thank you pleasure thanks so much ladies thanks Kath thanks Shelly we'll see you soon (laughs) bye thank you so much for listening If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That way we can continue to inspire and reach more mamas around the globe. If you would like to get in contact, request a guest or topic, then head to the No BS Approach to Motherhood Instagram page and send us a direct message. Otherwise, until next episode, stay sane, mama.